people are just baffled, especially at NBC Universal, at just how dramatically her reputation has fallen from sort of like ad world rock star to now sort of the face along with Elon of this unbelievably toxic force, I think, in American society. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, November 22nd. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about the latest round of turmoil at Twitter after Elon Musk appeared to endorse an anti-Semitic rant on his own platform. As Dylan explains, advertisers are fleeing and industry leaders are now calling on Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino to resign as she fights to save the company's floundering ad business. We'll discuss all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. If you're traveling right now, thank you for letting us fill your ears with content. Uh, I think this is supposed to be a, a big podcast listening day for the country. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers to talk about all the drama at Twitter. But first, Dylan, uh, where are you spending this holiday? I'm in Hawaii, Peter. I've already done my traveling. I'm here with the whole. I'm here with the whole extended family on my wife's side, and and not to put too fine a point on it, but you are like, you are the last thing between me and my first mai tai of the afternoon. You know what, man? This is <laughs> yeah. This is a. If you are privileged enough to have our jobs like us, it is nice to sort of start to wind down, and it, it feels like not only are you winding down for Thanksgiving, but uh, cover your ears, John Kelly. You're kind of winding down just for the holidays. It's a good little. A little feeling. See, I know, but I see. I can hear John. This is where John would say, <laughs> "You know, it's never more important than to uh, than to, than to hit him when no one else is." That's exactly right. <laughs> there will be no well, there will be no winding down at a startup. Uh, I know you're not near Lahaina right now, but thank you for giving Hawaii your tourism dollars. Generally, speaking of giving dollars, uh, actually, <laughs> I speak of giving dollars. Let's talk about the taking away of dollars from Twitter, twitter.com. Man, Elon Musk last week, Dylan, basically validated some anti-Semitic rant on Twitter. A bunch of advertisers pulled their money from Twitter. And now a lot of people in the advertising and marketing industry who know Linda Yaccarino, Twitter's CEO, are asking her to resign. Basically, like, you know, she was brought in by Musk to help stabilize the business after he took over. It's become clear over these many months that (laughs) 
that one hand isn't talking to the other. Uh, she, you know, was sort of infamously caught off guard at a conference recently, not knowing much about anything about Twitter. Uh, and, and then Musk will then turn around and tweet something. And it's clear that she didn't really know <laughs> what was going on. But yeah, because Musk not only has dabbled in conspiracy theories generally, but most recently dabbled in anti-Semitism, which he denies, a bunch of industry leaders are calling on Linda to step down from her position at Twitter slash X. What do you make of this? I mean, is she is she on the outs? Is she going to hang in there with Elon? What, what's your take on all this, Dylan? You know, I when things like this happen, and I don't I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean Elon Musk you know, endorsing anti-Semitic tweets. But but when you see a sort of advertiser backlash, a sort of like broad backlash to any company, and there's this sort of cascade of advertisers pulling out or at least pausing spending, my gut instinct is to say, okay, well, first of all, two things. One, maybe this is overblown. And maybe, you know, this is sort of like, I, I, I'm always wary of the sort of mob of public opinion forcing these sort of like public displays of of you know from from advertisers and then the other thing i think is like well how much does that really matter and how quickly are these advertisers going to come back onto the platform and can we contextualize this a little bit i think in this instance this strikes me as something that is a little more significant for a number of reasons one at any time but particularly in this environment I would say the tolerance for anything that even has a whiff of anti-Semitism is, mm. as it should be, extremely low. Two, I think the everyone is so charged about this that the first time, you know, the first advertiser, whether it be IBM or Apple or NBCU, who comes back and, and sort of starts spending again, I think everybody's guard is going to be up to call foul on that. And then I think third and most importantly, that... This is taking place in the in the broader context of Elon Musk sort of just turning Twitter or X into like a cesspool of uh, misinformation, conspiracy theories, hate speech, and and, mm -hmm. and certainly now the sort of like even the CEO endorsing anti-Semitism. So you ask about you know you think about Linda Yaccarino and and what's she going to do here? And um, look. From the moment she took this job, everyone was like, what are you doing? You know, I think I, I think people and what, were like... Sorry to interrupt, Dylan. Like, on that point, though, like, wh where did she come from? I mean, she was taken very seriously in the in the media world before taking My this God. job. My God. So she came from Comcast, NBC, Universal. Not only was she taken seriously, she was celebrated. She was seen as this sort of rock star mm. advertising chief who did wonders for the NBCU business and, and also sort of like had made a name for herself as a star in that industry. And that was, I think that was part of the thing. It's like, look, despite working for NBC Universal, I think the people who knew her have known that for a long time, her politics have been anything but, you know, sort of MSNBC. She's got a sort of hard, <laughs> hard right libertarian streak. But all of that said, she was sort of like accepted in, in polite society and was not necessarily seen as someone who would sort of so easily and willingly get sort of red-pilled or Elon-pilled. And mm -hmm. there were early signs of that when she she interviewed Elon Musk on stage and was sort of like overtly fawning. She came to his defense um, during the initial rough rollout of X. And then she finally just went full bore and went, and went to work for him. And I think at the time, a lot of her colleagues, other executives, 
at NBC Universal at Comcast, as well as other people who know her. And there they were like sort of, you know, Kara Swisher knew her and was sort of sounding the alarm for her from the get go is like, mm-hmm. this will be a disaster, right? Like if you look at, at the way that Elon Musk has run Twitter up until that point, this cannot end well for you. And she somehow just like went all in and continues to go all in. And so now we sort of arrive at this moment this week where she is sending out tweets and writing memos suggesting that the company and and Elon Musk are being like unfairly maligned and that he's not anti-Semitic at all. And it's just a very hard position to defend when the (laughs) the tweets are literally out there and against this broader context of sort of like fomenting sort of hate speech and misinformation and conspiracy theories. And the, I think the advertising community, you know, I read someone wrote that some in the advertising community are trying to save her, like, you know, resign. Now is the 11th hour. If you, if you stand by Elon Musk now, there is, you've reached the point of no return. I would say most people have said is one, she's already gotten to that point. And two, I think, I think just from a sheer sort of career management perspective, people are just baffled, especially at NBC Universal, at just how dramatically her reputation has fallen from sort of like ad world rock star to now sort of the face along with Elon of this Mm. sort of, again, of this just sort of like unbelievably toxic um, force, I think, in American society. Yeah. It's also like, you know, from my experience going from TV, CNN to Snapchat digital, you know, not working in advertising or revenue, like it's still a content creator, just like you, Dylan. Um, the skill set doesn't totally translate from selling TV inventory to selling digital inventory, especially at a, like a place like Twitter. Like 90% of their revenue, I think, comes from advertising, or, or at least before we knew that from <laughs> before Elon took them yeah, private. Yeah, a lot. But at the same time, it was still like not the first, second, third choice for advertisers. You know, like like if if you look at um, political advertising, which is something I'm familiar with, like 90% of digital advertising from political campaigns goes to Google, YouTube, and, and Meta. And then everyone else is sort of like an ancillary player. It's where you put your dollars and it's like, oh, we got some extra cash lying around. Right. So with the downturn in the market, combined with the fact that like Twitter is kind of like sort of like nice to have, but you don't need advertising service, on top of Elon Musk's Twitter now being like, <laughs> you know, our ads could appear next to hate speech. Right. You know, it's just like such a rocky transition. And look, it's uh, it's easy to get charmed by big CEOs like Elon Musk when they offer you that job. But like, you know, you got to think about, <laughs> you know, what's the what's the upside here? How does this enhance my career rather than maybe uh, raise the stakes a little too much? Right. And I look, I that that advertising context is is important. I think ostensibly one of Elon's big challenges when he took over, in addition to sort of all of the, in my mind, you know, misguided decisions he made (laughs) upon coming in, is that the advertising business was sort of in trouble. And it was like, well, if you can bring in Linda Yaccarino, and yes, it is not a this, it is not the same kind of business, but it is at least an adjacent business, then with her Rolodex and her connections, maybe somehow she can make the Twitter experience more palatable for advertisers. And that could potentially have worked if Elon had gotten out of the way and hadn't sort of created trouble for her 
and mm-hmm. and sort of not let Twitter or X become what it has become. And of course, there's no world in which the Elon that we know now was ever going to do that. I think mm-hmm. to your other part of the question is, you know, what were the motivations for Lindy Acarino? I mean, based off of the people I've talked to, I think she yeah. sort of always wanted to be a chief executive and sort of saw this as I, I think she maybe had blinders on and wasn't listening mm. to the people around her who said that it was going to get this bad. And then again, too, I think that she sort of aligned with Elon's politics more than people thought, more than people mm. who didn't know her thought anyway. And now that she's in again, like I, I don't want to use this term loosely, but it, you do get the sense she's sort of been red pilled and you, and, and now she's like her, her heels are dug in and it seems like she's not, going to go anywhere. And I think that the more the sort of community of sort of mainstream advertisers, mainstream business try and like urge her to get out or call for her to resign, the further she she seems like she's going to dig in. I'll take a quick break, Dylan. When we come back, I want to ask you about a big bet Linda is placing on 2024 to save Twitter. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. I hope you are not stuck in traffic, but thank you for listening if you are on whatever highway you're on in this great country of ours. So Semaphore had a little scoop, Dylan, the other day. Max Tiny had it uh, about Linda Yaccarino basically tasking her son, Matt Madrazo, I think that's how you pronounce it, to generate $100 million of political advertising heading into, I guess, the 2024 election cycle. This feels like a total Hail Mary. Again, like I do know something about political advertising. Most of it goes to Meta, YouTube. I mean, they have much better targeting. They have better, like, just like products for political advertisers, you know, email acquisition, fundraising, you know, you can swipe up to, you know, you know, sign up to volunteer for a campaign, et cetera. Those are things that like, most Twitter users don't do. Advertising on Twitter is fundamentally just sort of like 
brand awareness and broadcast. You do see, right. and I, I've seen, I'm sure people who use Twitter a lot see a lot of political fundraising on there from from Dems and Republicans because it goes right into the you know news addict political junkie space. But it's still not only Twitter makes up a small piece of the overall political ad spend on the digital side, but also like just to put this in context, former Twitter executive shared this a few years ago before Elon Musk took over. I think in the 2018 election cycle, huge election year, record-breaking turnout uh, from voters. They made less than $3 million in total political ad revenue in 2018. So the idea that as the platform is shrinking and advertisers are fleeing, that you're somehow going to make $100 million off of political ads is, uh, let's call that a stretch goal, as they would say in the business world. <laughs> uh, a stretch goal, a, a Hail Mary, also, man, I mean, I don't know, a distraction. Mm-hmm. Look, I gotta, I, I will, you know, I admire the nepotism here in terms of giving this job to her son. That is something she seems to have taken with her from NBC Universal. But look, you, to your point, th- this is not what, Twitter did as a business in its strongest years, Mm -hmm. or at least it didn't account for a very big share of the pie. And now that um, Elon has sort of done to the business what he's done to it, I don't really see a market for political advertising in 2024 for anyone but the sort of like Vivek, you know, Trump (laughs) wing of the Republican Party. And like you said, they'll probably be advertising on other on other platforms. I don't know where this sort of like pie in the sky target came. I don't I haven't done again, I haven't done any of my own reporting on this yet. But mm-hmm. the idea too that that you're gonna get Democrats here to to sort of start advertising on this platform that like I think we can all agree has become almost impossible to use. Now what I will say is that on the other hand, we are all still using it and, and we're not we're not all we haven't all gravitated over to threads. And part of the reason for that, I think, is I think there's just some sort of muscle memory. I also think it remains the sort of place where at least and now I'm just talking anecdotally about mm-hmm. journalists and others in our in our world. It is sort of the, the place you go where you hope to find the latest breaking news or sort of a link to some strong assessment or some terrible take. But but it does seem, <laughs> for better or for worse, where the conversation is, is still happening is just happening in such a chaotic environment that is there's so much shit to sift through that you wonder why an advertiser who does have the option to go to a, a Meta or a Google or anywhere else would feel incentivized to go there. And then again, as you know, Peter, better than anyone, well, the conversation might be happening there for journalists such as ourselves and political operatives and spokespeople and whatnot. It is not, of course, where the vast majority of people who use social media are spending their time. So I don't, again, I don't, I, I, I don't know if this is a Hail Mary. I don't know if it's a distraction. I don't know if maybe this is an opportunity to do a favor here for her son, but this is just <laughs> this, this whole, that whole thing feels sort of weird to me and also feel that I, I don't know if they intended for it to come out now, but it feels like such a, a weird thing to sort of throw out there into the ether while they are dealing with much more yeah. catastrophic problems. Yeah, it's, I don't know. If you know anything about this business, it actually feels like an embarrassing thing to throw out there at this moment. And um, on the threads thing, you're totally right. I mean, listeners of this podcast and people who read 
the best and the brightest will know my rant about threads at this point. It is a preoccupation of anti-Elon Musk liberals, journalists, and tech reporters who live there. But, you know, when news breaks, when big things happen and like, you know, whatever NFL game is on, uh, when Sam Altman gets forced out of OpenAI, people are still going to Twitter. That's the first touch. Right. Um, muscle memory, you're right. It's still, it's a degraded experience. Not as good as it used to be, but Threads is an afterthought. It's a second touch place. There are, I mean, <laughs> I'll let you go with this, Dylan. There are a lot of people, even before Elon Musk came and took over Twitter, who made a show of saying, Twitter is toxic. It's not good for my mental health. I'm going to take a break from Twitter. And then, you know, they'll write an op-ed about it. And then a week later, they're back on Twitter. There is <laughs> a right. very prominent person <laughs> right. that I am not going to name, uh, who is one of these people who said, I'm going to be spending less time on Twitter. This place sucks. It's getting worse. Goodbye. Maybe not full goodbye, but <laughs> over the weekend, again, speaking of the reporter class, this person tweeted like 42 times in a yeah. single day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, right. you guys can never quit. You can't quit. I will not name no. names. Maybe you can figure it out out there, but man, it is, uh, threads is, is not happening uh, for people outside of a, a small, small group of blue bubble dwelling college educated elites. That's for sure. No, but I do, I do to your point, the, who, whoever it is who's saying I'm off Twitter and then is going back and posting 40 things, the people who are there and who are active are increasingly not in my mind, in, in my experience are not the, the people who you actually need to be reading and following. And you can actually, if you just turn on a push alert for the four or five or 10 accounts that you actually feel like you want to hear from, and you just mm -hmm. get a push notification from them, you can ignore the rest of it. You can ignore the conspiracies mm -hmm. and the misinformation and the bots and the advertising, and you can ignore all of it. And at least while Elon sort of drives this business into the ground, it remains a service in that, in that one regard. That's right. Well, to the Yaccarino family, um, you have some stuff to talk about over Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Dylan, Thanksgiving. Enjoy Hawaii. Get some uh, get some roadside shrimp for me. Do whatever you guys do in Hawaii <laughs> for Thanksgiving. I'll see you after the holiday. All right. Cheers, man. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.